0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt premier Eric Scoble, Jared Mack on the show. As always, welcome to your Monday mailbag edition. We're out of that bye week into a short week uh, with the Oregon Ducks getting ready to face off against the California Golden Bears this Friday evening from Autzen, 7.30 kick on ESPN. And uh, we've got some wide-ranging questions. I think some big picture 10,000 feet from, from above look at Oregon. And then we've got some stuff that deals right away this week and how Oregon moves forward. So uh, let's dive right into these, Eric, and uh, let's let's bang this one out.
2: Yeah. All right. We're going to start with injuries because that's probably the place to start. Um, A question from at just tax the rich, which I'm not going to promote or support his Twitter handle, um, but that's what it is. So I read it on air. Um, Do we think the rash of injuries is substantial enough to start talking about whether or not it is a strength and conditioning issue? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Before we even address this, Matt, I want to throw it to you and let you kind of update the listeners on some of your health things, because we have not recorded a podcast since Mario has spoken, I think twice, actually. Um, Both Jared and I run a quick vacation, so Matt was running the show. Kudos to him for handling it and and getting everything out and, and making the site run as smoothly as it did. Matt, we've got updates on a couple of players that were dinged up against Stanford. Um, a couple season-ending injuries. Can you just kind of fill in the audience and then we'll get to this question?
1: Yeah, C.J. Verdell out for the year um, with a lower leg injury. We don't have the exact, I guess, description, if you will, um, of what that injury is. It doesn't really matter. He's out for the year. Um, Bennett Williams suffered a season-ending freak injury in a Friday practice leading up to Stanford. So he is also now out for the season. So you you have now lost, potentially, um, some kind of maybe all American and Ben Williams. Um, the way he was playing, uh, the interceptions he was creating, the success Oregon was having. I'm not gonna say he's the first team, but certainly maybe you know a guy that could garner one or two selections there, certainly an all conference player. And then CJ Verdell, uh, who was in the top four in the conference in rushing yards per game. Uh, still is, uh, he is also gone with an injury. So you do have to wonder where Oregon goes next. They did get some decent news. Um, Braden Swinson, an edge rusher, he is uh, good to go. Christopher says he should be completely ready for Cal. Um, He did also acknowledge that Adrian Jackson, Damon David, uh, Dawson Jaramillo, uh, and also Kingsley Matia are full go next week against Cal. Um, Dawson was limited against Stanford. Damon's been limited the last couple of weeks, hasn't played prior to that. Adrian Jackson, also Mace Funa. Um, Tim DeRuiter brought up him as well, Uh, just being closer to 100% than they were going into Stanford. Both Adrian Jackson and Funa were guys that were playing in that Stanford game but were um, a little dinged up. And then Chris Ball also gave us some news that Jonathan Dennis – No surprise. He's out for the year. Um, Drew Mathis is also out for the season. Um, He hadn't confirmed either of those up until this point. Um, He did say that Jackson, Leduc and Sean Dollars are going to be out for a while, but did not rule them out uh, for the season. Um, And that also can be said for Jalen Smith, uh, Logan Sagapalu, and Jaden Everett
2: it's ridiculous how many names you just had to run through, Matt, on an injury report, and we didn't even touch on a couple that we know are done for the year. And Patrick Herbert, we didn't mm-hmm. talk
1: about. Um, Cam yeah, Cam McCormick is also oh. out for the year. Uh, you know, kudos for James crepia the Oregonians um, beat reporter. He came with a list, and it was like 22 guys long um, that he tried to get discussions with. And like you said, that wasn't even – the entire injury list. So uh, the Ducks are certainly banged up. They are certainly dealing with a lot of injuries, and it's certainly going to be interesting to see how they return.
2: To the question now, I I just have a hard time suggesting it's purely a strength and conditioning issue. Um, these are a lot of these are freak injuries too. So it's I mean, I mean, what? what so is the question like, are these guys? too muscular or something like that. And they're, they're straining muscles because they're just too jacked. Um, is, it, is it that they're overworking them? Is that the concern? Um, I, I, you know, I'm not an expert on, you know, how to physically train a football program. So it probably I'm probably not the right person to ask in terms of like, are we concerned about it being that I will say for whatever reason, this does feel like an exceptional number of players out and out with serious injuries. And it seems every single game, which I think has been the most frustrating part, is where a guy or two is lost either before the game in the case of a Bennett Williams during the game in the case of CJ Verdell. Like that's been a trend weekly. Um, It's been like a slow kind of gradual build of every week. You're just down a couple of key players that you lose for significant time. So that's very frustrating, obviously Um, no one's happy about it. You can see it on Mario Cristobal's face, even after the Stanford game of like, I don't know what to tell you. This is getting kind of wacky. I does the, I mean, like, like, how do you even explain what a strength and conditioning shortcoming would be here for an injury perspective? And, like, do we think that really carries any water? Because I, I just, I just kind of failed to see a correlation personally, but so I might be in the minority in that.
1: I, I feel like um, a lot of the injuries that we see or that we hear about that are like preventable injuries, those are like soft tissue type stuff. Um, and none of these really are like you could maybe argue that the workload um the rigors of the fourth quarter program or how organ maybe is is having a full go practice on fridays or a physical practice on fridays um you could argue that that maybe over time creates a wear and tear on the body that leads to these injuries but i don't i don't buy it um i i just think it's an instance where there's just a freak him out of injuries. Like how do you prepare from a training, a physical training standpoint for Bennett Williams, you know, injuring himself in a onside non-contact drill? Like that just feels weird. Um, Like you you can't prepare for that. How do you prepare for KT getting rolled back over um, by a teammate who got pancaked, uh, in the fresno state game like there's nothing that you can do from a strength and conditioning standpoint to see that and 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 these amounts of injuries they've happened before at oregon this this isn't normal but it's also not like super rare it happened in 2007 when like the entire team felt like they got injured at some point it happened in 2014 when Oregon suffered guy after guy with injuries and they got to the, you know, they, that 14 team got to the championship game. And unfortunately for them, especially at receiver, so many of their top guys were out, you know, like Devin Allen was out. Uh, Braylon Addison was out in that game. Um, Carrington tested negative or tested positive for marijuana. So he was out in that game. Um, Pharaoh Brown was out in that game because of an injury. Like, do they win that 14 game against Ohio State with those guys? I don't know, but they probably had a better chance. And so uh, these injuries happen. Every team gets littled with them. It's just a a, a poor instance where it all lined up for a perfect storm.
3: Yeah, I think it's completely unfair to blame anything that the strength and conditioning staff is doing. We're in, like, the third or fourth year with with strength coach Aaron Feld. And, you know, other than this year – I I mean, again, injuries happen every single year, but this has been a freak year in terms of injuries. Uh, I also think that this has been a more talked about year because of who's been injured, just because of like the name brand value of who's had, you know, Kay Montibito was out a couple of weeks. Justin Flo broke his foot. He's out for potentially the entire year. CJ Burdell is out for the year, now Bennett Williams. Um, But I think that's part of the issue is, the, the reaction by people when a star player gets hurt or multiple starters get hurt rather than, you know, the second string tight end or the third string cornerback suffers an Achilles tears out for the year. You know, these are guys that people want to see, they pay to see, they have heard lots about over the offseason. And then they're, and then it's all also like all of these have happened within the first five weeks. So it's even more of a, like, oh, I wanted to see this guy in, in late November when uh, the Ducks are hoping to be in search of a, of a college football playoff berth. But it's I just think it's extremely unfortunate for the Ducks this year. It's a bad case of the injury bug. Um, some years it happens, some years it doesn't. And this year is one of them. And it, it's hurt a lot, especially at the linebacker position. When you have at one point, you had three of your top four guys go down with some sort of injury. Um, it's hurt on defense when the best, best, basically Oregon's three of their top six players are now in or were injured for at one point. Two of them are out for the year. Um, so it's, it definitely hurts on their defensive perspective and it hurts overall for their team.
2: I think I'm, I'm just going to say until there's an instance where somebody attached to the program communicates some concern about Feld and the strength and conditioning program, I don't think it's fair for us to do so. I know other than suggesting this and we see it on the message board, I I don't see it. It's not like I've seen one of the players go down and be like, gosh, they really ran my body ragged. And we haven't heard Cristobal suggest this is like has anything to do with anything. So. Um, I kind of like if if, if that does come out, we can readdress it and be like, okay, maybe they really do need to change some things because players or maybe even the coach acknowledges it right now. This is like kind of just people trying to find answers, which I understand because this injury stuff has been frustrating. But I don't think there's really any evidence right now that that we can point to that suggests that this is like a strength and conditioning problem. Um, The injury Mm -hmm. stinks, as we said, but that's kind of where we're at. All right. Let's move on to at Drew Goalie's question, our second of the show. What can Moorhead, the quarterback, and the offense do to get the highly touted receiving corps more involved? Um, I just wanted to start, Matt, with Joe Moorhead, the latest we learned from Mario Cristobal. Regarding that, what is his status? Is he with the team? Is he coaching? What's going on?
1: Yeah, weird weird one there. I've never asked for an injury report on a coach. Um, right. His availability. Chris, <laughs> there was a report out by the Athletics Bruce Feldman on Sunday that said that he was expected back to to be coaching this week i asked Crystal ball about that report and he said he's trying he didn't say he was for sure um he is involved in the game planning this week um this past weekend so he is doing some stuff with the program he is back in eugene as well um and, and I, real quick we don't there was a couple comments about how we know if he's vaccinated or not but we don't know what the actual injury is and i want to address that um we don't need to know what kind of medical emergency he, ha- he had because it's non-covid related which means it doesn't impact the people around him um it doesn't impact their health and safety by him being around those people that's the point of COVID and knowing if people are vaccinated or not is if you're not you're you're potentially putting the people around you just simply standing there at risk what he had was non-covid related and doesn't put other people at risk so we don't need to know unless they want to tell us uh, what happened to him um, but he is back in eugene they are trying to, to have him help involved be involved in the game planning but for him actually coaching on the sideline on friday night uh, is to be determined
2: All right. And then to the question itself here, like, how do, how do they do this? Like are are there things we can point to that we'd like to see? I mean, you know, part of me goes, they've already made this offense. I think pretty simple in terms of the way it's supposed to run in terms of getting the ball, the receivers, Um, aside from a couple shots a game that they've taken vertically, which they just haven't hit, everything else has been intermediate to underneath kind of stuff. A lot of screen passes. You know, one thing maybe I can just bring up is like, Maybe it's more wide receiver screens or more stuff in that regard. I don't know if we've seen as much as we saw in the past. Like you think about a Chip Kelly offense or even like under Mark Helfrich, it seemed like a lot more wide receiver screens were involved, a lot more getting them in space that way. Maybe that's a route just because that is a lower difficulty throw for Anthony Brown to make than something he has to throw up field. Um, I mean, and this is kind of the constant – question right now for the offense, right? That's kind of like the, the through line is how, how, how does this passing game get going? Um, Cause we're going to get to a question in a second that addresses some of the running game stuff, but um, that's the run games, not been the issue. Um, it's been the fact that they just haven't been able to get the receivers involved here. And that is frustrating because we, you know, we just spoke a moment ago about gosh, it's frustrating the injuries. I think another thing that's been frustrating is you see all these teams on a receiver and they just haven't been productive and that's not, I don't think entirely on them. I think that's been largely on the quarterback um i don't know if there's like a real obvious fix though because to me the quarterback issues are just so significant that it's like what throws can he make i mean maybe that's what this week is is let's let's identify the throws he can really really make and let's make those the focal point of the offense i don't know what those are because having watched now five games and jared can attest to this we watched them. i don't know what throws he makes well um because so he's pretty inconsistent with just about all of them right jared
3: A hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's a clear, easy answer to this one. I think it really stems off of how Anthony Brown plays because yeah, this, this receiving room is extremely loaded, you know, front to back Uh, there's deep ball threats. There's across the middle threats. There's tight end threats now with Maliki Madovao and Terence Ferguson. You know, this is a, a very loaded offense, even after CJ Verdell's injury, that still has a lot of guys who can produce and get open and take a ball to the house. But the ball needs to be there. And that is the struggle that Oregon has had so far this season, is getting the ball to these guys in open space. And maybe they simplify the offense even more coming out of the break Um, You kind of saw that in the second half against Stanford, where I don't think Anthony Brown really had read options. I think they were plays that were originally designed to have an option, but the option was taken off and Brown was either going to hand off or take it on his own, whatever the case may be. Um, That that has been the problem in all these rewatches that Eric and I have done. Um, You have plays that can work, should work, and just need to be executed well in order for them to work by Anthony Brown, and he does not execute them well enough. And whether that be a deep ball, whether that be uh, just making the right read on a receiver, heading more down the field, and they're or even just taking the underneath route where they have space to get op- up in open field. That's the issue. I don't think there's any magical like snap your fingers and this offense will start to score 42 points a night. It is um, gonna be a work in progress, frankly.
1: I'm not confident that Anthony Brown can throw the ball downfield. Um, they don't attempt a ton of plays and I know that, you know, they're going to come out and they're going to say, well, well, we had this and they didn't throw it, but we called it. Or they're going to say, well, we did have a, an attempt, but there was a pass interference. So we're going to count that as a catch. And you know, I, I know those happen in games. Um, but the reality is, is I think they, attempted one pass where Anthony Brown threw the ball 20 yards or more in the air against Stanford. Like the reality is they just don't do it all that often. And I think it's because they can't consistently throw the ball down the field. So what do you do um, if they're not going to change quarterbacks? And look, I kind of, this will probably be an unpopular opinion, but if Joe Moorhead is unavailable to coach, against Cal, I don't think you should make the quarterback change because your freshman quarterback is going to be seeing a lot of things for the first time. There will be struggles and you're not going to have his position coach in his ear when he comes off the sideline to make, you know, to to give updates and to to coach him up and provide him some stability. You're not going to have that and that's pretty important. and we also don't know if these guys are better like it sounds like from hearing what what crystal said on thursday was when i asked him why is anthony brown the starter opposed to the other guys like what is he doing that's separating himself and it was the understanding of the offense what to do where to go what you know what happens when this situation brings up what do you do and where do you look and it doesn't sound like the other guys are close to where anthony brown is at so If It it feels, and this is me just providing my opinion of what Kirsten Ball said, but it feels like if they wanted to make a change, they couldn't because the guys behind them aren't good enough yet. And we could go down that path another time. But I don't think you change the quarterback. And so I I think it's screens, it's rollouts. I've been on here. I don't have any data to to, to back it up, but I I just – my personal opinion – I think he's better at throwing the football when you give him the run-pass option. When you roll him out to one side of the field, you cut half the reads that he has to make because clearly he struggles making reads, and you cut half the field that he needs to read. And you give him okay, one, two, three—they're not there. You you tuck it and run. Uh, they did that. You know, different coaching staff, different scheme, but Jeremiah Mazzoli was successful with that type of uh, passing attack. Roll him out. Anthony Brown is a good runner and you you roll them out you you, you keep him moving you cut the field in half and if nothing's open then you can tuck it and run. that i think that's your your success um but honestly it, it's going to be tough to, to to throw the football down the field consistently right now
2: i don't even know if i want to run an rpo i just want to run an rp where it's either a run or a pass and it's yeah. like, it's one of the two and he doesn't have a choice I, I think you take the reads away is something i would say um Just a thought in terms of the backup spot situation. Um, Let's say that I I think Matt's on to the, I think Matt makes a really good point about it's probably problematic to have Ty Thompson or one of the other two freshmen who are 18 or 19 year olds make their first start without their quarterback coach. I also think if that's the case, does it make sense for Mario Cristobal to suggest that those guys are better than the guy they're going to start in terms of giving confidence to Anthony Brown. I'm not saying he's like, I guess I am saying that, like maybe he's kind of covering a little bit for Anthony in terms of like giving him the support because he is going to be the starter because they're not going to make a change and it would feel sort of strange to then suggest hey we're not going to make the change but the backups are actually better um, you know and so that's that's me kind of that would be my I won't say rebuttal that would be my I guess my little tinfoil conspiracy of if 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 they're and maybe that's going to make Oregon fans feel a little better I don't know if it is because it's all supposition at this point but I, I guess I'm trying to Think and wonder if like does it doesn't make sense for mario to go on the record and say that the, that anthony brown's actually not very good and the backups are better but they're not going to make a change because of the point matt brings up which i think is i think the central part here is it's hard to make a change when you have a quarterback coach who's not available to coach the quarterback especially when they're young guys like if this was a tyler shuck versus anthony brown where they both have some a year of experience or more i get making the move maybe to the a player who has some experience without his quarterback coach but like matt says i think it's tough um, I think it's tough to say, hey, Ty Thompson, go out there. And he comes out and he has a bad couple of drives. And it's, I don't want to criticize whoever is in charge of that because it would be Nate Costa. And I, I think highly of Nate, but he's not Joe Moorhead. And I think that would be tough. So um, I think I agree with that reasoning. I, I'm just also maybe trying to be optimistic that the quarterbacks behind him actually aren't as bad as it sounds like. Because, because like if we're doing a comparative analysis here, if you're saying that these quarterbacks read the offense significantly worse than Anthony Brown, then you have a real, you have a real issue, and it's not just—it's a deeply rooted one. It's not a short-term problem. It could be a problem where, like, shoot, this offense may never be very good under Joe Moorhead, or they're going to take a or a ton of development is required from these guys going forward.
3: Um, I I don't know. I have some tough I have some tough time reading into what Mario Cristobal said just just because you know his reasoning behind as to why Anthony Brown was the superior quarterback and what he does in practice were things I would A expect from a six year quarterback, the idea of reading a defense and having maturity and leadership in the locker room. But B, there are also things that he's not also very good at, other than the leadership part and being a, a, a good guy in the locker room. It seems like literally everybody on the team loves the guy. But yeah. You know like when when that's the reason that your six year quarterback is better than your freshman quarterback, that's not that great. Um so that's why I'm kind of like, if there was, if, if Joe Moorhead was an absolute lock to coach this weekend on the field, be the quarterback, coach, offensive coordinator, would this decision be different? Hypothetically, if, if, if this uh, emergency trip to the hospital for Coach Moorhead doesn't happen last week against Stanford, are we talking about something completely different at this point? Because it has been, such an abysmal ride through watching, <laughs> rewatching the game, and having to realize all the mistakes that have been continuously made for weeks now that have never gotten better. Right. That I, you know, you have to question um, what it actually is. If if you had Mario Cristobal off the record and you had him talk about what it actually was that Anthony Brown did better, that's what I keep asking myself because, of course. Sabal is not going to throw Anthony Brown on the bus at all. He'll never throw a player under the bus as he shouldn't because that, that would be rude and and just mean, frankly, and he would lose a lot of respect in the locker room, but I would like to know what he actually does better than the three uh, trio of freshman quarterbacks.
1: It's all we know is last year, Talishuk had better numbers statistically than Anthony Brown, far far better numbers mm-hmm. than Anthony Brown.
2: Yeah,
1: and that was not good enough. And they made a change in the Fiesta Bowl, full full go. They were trying it out against USC and then against uh, Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl. They made the change. They went to Anthony Brown. So what was not good enough? Uh, last better numbers were, that were not good enough last year um we're now seeing worse numbers this season and are and that is good enough so something does not align correctly so um i agree with what jared said there's probably a lot of tentacles to this that you know coaches just will not admit because if they do they're going to lose the team it
2: Mario, let us watch practice so we can be educated on this too. Like, there's my there's my plea. If we could watch practice, we could give these listeners a much better idea of like maybe maybe Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield and Robbie Ashford aren't very good, and we could say no, but Anthony Brown is the best option. Or maybe we would be right. able to say with definitive confidence these guys are actually pretty good, and that would sort of change our dynamic and discussion and some of the the narrative around this whole situation. All right, next one from at Mr. Massinger. With all the completed throws downfield this weekend, I believe he's referring to games Oregon did not play and since they were not playing this past weekend, and the success that has come from it, and the injury to CJ. Do you see a change coming at quarterback, not in terms of personnel, but in scheme? Hashtag outs and Audibles. I guess we just addressed that second part there, that last part, a little bit. And I think, yeah, Jared's shaking his head. I think Matt's no. kind of in agreement. No. We just discussed this. We don't see a big shift. I did wanna I did wanna include the injury to CJ though. Um to just for really quickly, how does that in your guys' mind like reshape the offense? Does it? Or do you anticipate this is still going to be because is how I feel. I think the offense is gonna look a lot I think it's gonna look very similar to what it's been in the past. I don't expect them to go away from what they've been doing. I think this is still a run first operation, even without CJ, who's For my money, your most talented running back by a fairly significant margin. Travis has played awesome this year. I think CJ just provides some different things than what Travis can. Um, We'll need the freshman running backs to step up to see this offense to continue to kind of carry itself. But, like, I don't know. Are we we expecting to see a CJ-less offense with Anthony Brown at quarterback look significantly different than we did a couple weeks ago against Stanford?
1: I think the offense will be the same. I think CJ uh his carries will be made up by a combination of of guys i think byron cardwell and trey benson are bigger body guys and when they run you know dive, or when they run off tackle and travis die needs a break i bet you we see probably a little bit more of cardwell or uh benson when Dye needs a break and needs to come out and they need some kind of swing pass or a screen or some kind of sweep um, or an option play, you know, I bet you we see seven McGee. I think it's going to be a situational deal. Um, I I don't expect seven McGee to be, you know, running between the tackles three or four straight times. I mean, he might get one or two a game, but I don't think it's going to be a case where they're just going to go, you know, seven straight run plays, and, and McGee's going to get five of them off tackle. Um, and it's going to be a week-by-week a week thing. I don't, I don't think we're going to see one guy among the trio of freshmen get a bulk of the carries for the rest of the year. I, I think it's literally going to be, okay, who had the best week in practice this week, who is the most consistent, who do we trust the most, and how does that player fit the matchup that we're facing and the situation that we're facing. Anything to add to that, Jared?
3: Yeah, I think I think the offense will look pretty much the same. I do think it'll be more of a situational idea when it comes to how they run Travis Dye. Uh, he can run through the tackles. He's shown it before. Uh, it's just not his strong suit compared to C.J. Verdell. He's uh, much more shiftier and probably a, a more explosive player in, like, in a three-yard range than C.J., so getting him outside the tackles would probably help. Uh, this might be where your screenplay comes into fruition Eric. Um, we'll see about that. I do think that between Cardwell and uh, Trey Benson, I think those guys are going to get the bulk of the carries. Uh, McGee is, I think, uh, almost synonymous in terms of his play style as Travis Dye, more so like that explosive edge, uh, edge player that you need to get into space and give him the chance to get a 10 to 15 yard run. Um, it was very to me. It was interesting that Oregon went to Cardwell against Stanford in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, I have always thought that Trey Benson is was the third string guy behind Ferdell and Dive. Um, we'll see. We know that he started the year hurt in fall camp, injured. Um, that he should be more than a hundred percent now, or maybe he's been dinged up. So we don't know this, but uh, I think if we're up to me, I think. Uh, I think Benson should get the bulk of the carries going forward. I think he's not that he's more experienced but a little more experienced having a year under him. Um, I think he's the bigger back. I think he has a little bit more talent than Cardwell does at this point. Um, but I think it could be just a running back by committee like Matt said during the week. You know if Benson has a great week this week, he might be the guy. but if he falls off and doesn't have as good as a week as Cardwell or even McGee I guess um, then it might not be the same next week. Um, but overall, yeah, I think the offense is going to look pretty darn similar to how it does the last couple of weeks.
2: Put my vote in for also the committee approach. I think my caveat would be is if someone really takes ownership and if it's Trey or Byron or seven and they're mm-hmm. playing at such a high level that you just don't feel like they can leave the field, then maybe that shifts things, but I think you start out the way it is currently. All right. Final one here from at Duck for Quacks. If Oregon doesn't make the playoffs, and I want to be clear, they can still make the playoffs, listeners. That's not out of the question. They run the table. They will be in the college world playoff. There's never been a Power 5 team left out with one loss that was won its conference championship. But Duck for Quacks asks, if Oregon doesn't make the playoffs, what four teams are you rooting for to make it? And he says, let's go Iowa, Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, and Wake Forest. Hashtag Hudson Audible's embrace the chaos. And then at the bottom he writes, P.S. Also, this would probably force an emergency playoff expansion with so many flagship programs being left out. Ha, 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 ha. Um, I don't know if I would watch it if it was Iowa, Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, and Wake Forest, by the way. I kind of want to watch, like, I'd like to at least no. see some of the teams I think are Sorry. pretty good. Cool. <laughs> like, I mean, I hate to say it. It would be fun to have, be like, hey, the national championship is Iowa versus Cincinnati. Like, that's kind of crazy in, like, in terms of, that's wild. Um, I would watch that game, though, because I would be pretty confident saying those aren't the two best teams regardless of, of outcome um, this year. So um, I kind of just would love to see Georgia play anybody, by the way. So, like, I mean, I just think they're really freaking good. So I know that's probably not popular, but I kind of would like to just see the best SEC team in this every year, even though there's probably folks that don't want to see that. And then my other my, my, so I'd take probably Georgia, whoever is the best SEC team. Put a Pac-12 team in there, right? Why, right? Like, I mean, I don't know who that's going to be if it's not Oregon. Maybe there isn't one, but probably isn't one, honestly. But like, I'd like to see some sort of West Coast representation. So maybe it's BYU then, I don't know. Um, give me somebody from the West Coast because right now we're looking at totally middle of the country. Um, so there's like, that's half of it. And I really don't have a huge preference otherwise. I guess a Cincinnati or a Coastal Carolina would be cool from a non-Power 5 perspective to have one of them in there. Um, I also think it would kind of like, devalue and kind of hurt the league's credibility if there are multiple teams from the non-Power 5 in there over Pac-12 schools. Um, because right now you're kind of, I think the Pac-12 is teetering on kind of not being in that Power 5 status, or at least there's some people who think that. So um, that would be my rebuttal to that. Um, there's there, there's some options. I don't know, like, do we have a real strong rooting interest for anybody out there that we haven't mentioned? I mean, like, I, this question is kind of a fun question to answer at the back end from a hypothetical perspective. Um, I, I will say I would probably just like to see some West Coast representation and, and probably one of the big dogs at least competing for this.
1: I don't want Oklahoma in the playoff because I don't think that Oklahoma they've, – they've had time and time again where they've gotten in and they, they haven't been competitive Right. in, in playoff mm-hmm. games. So I'm tired of seeing Oklahoma get in there. Um, I, I, I do kind of want to see a playoff without Alabama in it. Um, Alabama or Clemson for that matter, or if we really want to go crazy, I'd like to see a, I'd like to see a playoff without Alabama Clemson and Ohio state. Okay. Um, so if, and throw in Oklahoma too, I guess now. Um, so if that would give me a Georgia, Iowa, Cincinnati and a Michigan or a Penn state or uh, a Michigan state or a Kentucky uh or an Oklahoma State. I'm not going to say Notre Dame because I hate them. Um, hate struggle, <laughs> I won't say that. Um,
2: you sport hate them. You sport hate them. Uh, sport hate them. Right. <laughs>
1: that that would be fine by me. Um, from a pure <clears throat> chaos standpoint, I'd love to see a two-loss team get in there somehow.
2: Yeah. Putting mm. let's let's get like what if it's like a three-loss team? Let's just go for. I'd rather actually. I'd rather have that than it be like specifically which teams. I'd rather just have some teams that have been beaten up. And beaten down, and it'd be just total chaos rather than it be a couple of FCSs. I
1: don't want. I don't want Coastal Carolina. I don't want Wake Forest. Um, I don't want SMU. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, you're not playoff good. You're 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 undefeated, <laughs> yes, but you're not you're not playoff good. I want to see the better teams and the better leagues make it. Um. But I don't want to see these, you know, since I don't want to see since, since saying Cincinnati is not fair because I think they're actually pretty solid, yeah. But I don't want to see a group of five team that that's not even close to the level of talent as an Oregon and they're not even ma- making it to the college football playoff. Who,
2: who is like who is who is like, but like if it's not Oregon on the west coast, like who's who's actually the it's like who's actually the team that you'd be pulling for or rooting for at this point, or who's
3: how west are we going? Yeah, like What's, states what's states the cutoff cut
2: as the west coast? Say that again. Because it's just it's just
3: Arizona State. It's the only back 12 team other than Oregon that's ranked. So.
2: And they're not very fun to root for, are they?
3: I mean, unless you want San Diego State.
2: Go Aztecs. They don't fit the – Can they, I, they can I offer you something? Of they don't – Not at all. That. I, I, this is where it gets weird. So, like, honestly, like, and I know it's probably this kind of probably not the answer Duck for Quacks is at looking for, but like, I, I would like to see a little bit more blue blood in there than what he's suggesting. I think, sure, that yeah. sounds kind of fun. I think the product would be brutal, um, and and I, I think it would be to the point where it's like I, I probably wouldn't watch a playoff with those four teams in it. Like, period. So, <laughs> give me at least a couple of the good boys. Like, at least give me a couple of the good the good teams.
3: I would still I would still watch those playoffs just because. I'm a football-holic, but, yeah, I want I, – me personally, I want Georgia, Bama, Penn State, Cincinnati. I need another – I need – I assume – to me, I don't think Bama's losing the rest of the year, so I think Georgia and Bama will meet in the SEC championship game. Um, if Bama loses, I don't think they'll make the playoffs. 2 lost Bama, I don't think they'll get in. Okay. But if Georgia loses, both Bama and Georgia will make it in, and that is exactly what I want to see. I wanna watch those two teams play as often as possible because I think they're by far and away the best two teams in the country. And then Cincinnati's cool and Penn State I picked because one of Michigan, Penn State, or Ohio State or Michigan State are all gonna knock each other off. And if Ohio State loses again, they're done. If Penn State loses again, they're done. Uh, Iowa, they probably have to lose in the big 12 championship game to a one loss Ohio State or Penn State team. So good luck.
1: All right, it's going to do it for us here on the and Audible's podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening to the show. Until later this week when we are back, getting ready for the Cal game, you've been listening to the and Audible's podcast.
2: Talk to you later, folks. Peace.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or